You're listening to Productive Flourishing. Thanks for joining us today. This is sort of like how to listen to advice. I think it's really important to learn how to take advice with caveats. And let me put this in pharmaceutical terms. All advice ought to come with contraindications, meaning (laughs) if you are of this personality type or this, this advice is probably not good for you. Or if you're going to take this advice, you should also take this other pill with it. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? That was Amiel Handelsman, an executive coach who helps leaders and teams design new conversational architecture and leadership practices. In today's episode, we talk a lot about talking in that we are illuminating the different kinds of conversations we may fall into and how to navigate them. This is timely, as the events of 2020 are opening up a whole range of conversations that many of us are struggling to find our way to and through. I'm Charlie Gilkey, and this is Productive Flourishing. Welcome to Productive Flourishing, where we explore how to do the work that matters so you become your best self in the world. I'm your host, Charlie Gilkey, and I'm joined by Angela Wheeler and other guests who will share their stories, insights, wins, and challenges in the hopes that our journeys and stories will help you with yours. Now, on to the show. Amiel, thanks so much for joining me on this episode. 2020 has been quite a challenging and disruptive and unusual year, and we're all, I think, needing to learn how to have conversations in a different way about different topics and just in different contexts than we're used to, whether that be we're now having conversations with coworkers via Zoom versus in the office or whether we're needing to talk to our partner throughout the day because they're at home and we're at home and we're not in different places or kids or now with some of the things related to COVID and some of the conversations around Um, police reform in the United States. There's a lot of conversations that are both feel new, they feel new, but the way in which we're having them also feels off. So I'm super pumped to have you on here to really talk about different ways we can have some of these conversations and how to use each and how to use words with integrity. um, Because no matter what situation we're in, it's something that applies to us day to day. So thanks so much for joining me. Yeah, it's it's really good to be here with you, and particularly on this topic and at this time. And my hope, I think it's both our hope, is to bring a way of looking at our experience from the back burner to the front burner, or to illuminate some things that maybe are in our blind spots so that we can uh, take the actions, the right actions in our lives and continue to explore that elusive, elusive sense of meaning and happiness and artistry that we're all seeking. Absolutely. And I'm going to start it with this way, because it seems like as I talk to people about having conversations, one of the things that prevents them from having it is just that urge or that feeling like you have to do it right from the start to be able to have a conversation, right? To be able to get in. So we're trying to figure out what to say before we say it. And that's oftentimes not the way we figure out what we need to say. So um, let's start by touching in a little bit on that. How do you suggest folks 
um, get to that place to where they're not getting ready to get ready to have the conversation. Mm, yeah. Yeah. I, I, what I'm taking from that is there's a certain amount of stumbling that's part of the learning process. And if we can declare ourselves beginners and give ourselves a little more leeway, that's a heck of a good way to start. And that's just as important for if I'm listening to someone who's a beginner as if I am the beginner. And uh, I've seen some really powerful posts about um, Black Lives Matter and racial justice about let's speak and let's give each other a little slack because we're learning. Many of us are learning. Uh, So, you know, one of the places that I like to start is by introducing some new terms, some language to name the kind of conversations that are possible. And one of the things that does is we know what are the, what are the rules of the game? Because what can happen is three people are all talking at the same time, but they're actually having a completely different type of conversation. So one of the things I like to work with my clients and in my family is actually, it's a conversational micro habit. I call name the conversation, right? And so let me briefly introduce one framework that I found helpful that when you learn it, I think can help us to relax because the joke is it's hard enough for us to do well having the same conversation at the same time, much less three or four, right? Absolutely. (laughs) So one way of describing this is uh, there are conversations for action where we talk, where we try to make agreements about what we're going to do. And there's a whole body of distinctions I can make within that. There's conversations for possibility where we're not making asks or offers. We're just saying, let's hold that off. Let's explore the future together. And then there's a third type, which maybe is less familiar to people, which is conversations for stories and assessments, which is happening a lot now. It's where we say, what is going on in our world? What's my story? What's your story? What's my take? And what's behind it? What's behind your take? And if we try and do that, while we also try and agree on what to do next, it gets all messed up. And that is one of the reasons why I think we're, many of us feel like we're stumbling because I'm just trying to make sense of my experience and you're asking me to do something. And there's nothing wrong with either one, but we're speaking different languages. So that would be a first step is like, can we learn to name the conversations we're in together and be like, okay, good. (laughs) We've got a boundary. Yeah, I think many people in long-term um, romantic partnerships are familiar with the the different games that can be played sometimes when one partner wants to sort of share their experiences and sort of make sense of it. And the other partner's like, well, what do you want to do about it? And here's my solution and so on and so forth. Or the other way around where, you know, one person's looking for, um, you know, ideas for action or possibility. And, and that can take people awry a lot. And so thanks for, for naming that because it shows up. Um, in the tenderest of moments, it shows mm-hmm. up in sort of the side conversations that you have with people as your side meaning like, you know, you're doing the dishes and half listening and don't realize that two different games are being played. Right. Um, and so it, it's super important because um, I wouldn't say, well, I'll, I'll let you talk about this. Um, sometimes there might be a good sequence of how to ha- how to shift these different games. 
right? And and know how to build through that. And I think some people come in super hot on the action conversation, and they haven't had the meaning sort of story conversation, right? Um, and oh, yeah. that can that can create that. And some people stay in the story meaning conversation and don't ever shift to the action conversation. And that has it. So, so let's talk a little bit about sequencing because that could be useful for people. Yeah, thanks. So I first learned of this model with slightly different language in the dating context. I was 30. I'm now 50. I was single and I had just moved to San Francisco a week earlier and I signed up for a free coaching session, not as the coach because I didn't, wasn't coaching full time at that point, but as a client. And I spent about two hours telling my saga of just frustrations in dating and love and sex and all that. And my coach, Kathy, drew a little diagram of these three types of conversation. And what she pointed out to me is that um, I was going right for the ask all the time. Man of action, man of impatience, man of desperation, take your pick. And she's like, she said, you know, you can have these other two first. And not only are you more likely to get a yes, but you're more likely to have a second and third date. And you might actually be with someone you like being with. And like, so part of the, what we called the first conversation then was relationship, where you're set talking about not just stories and assessment, but what matters to me. What are you interested in? Just a light, like small talk. And I wasn't, I think I'm better now, but small talk was not how I was raised. It's like, I like you, boom. You want to go out to dinner? You want to go out to the movies? And she said, you know what? That could, that's, maybe that's been problematic. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I think that's a pretty good description of what's going on. And she's like, maybe you could learn to just like at a party, be like, so let's talk about this. Let's talk about that. What are your interests? And just do some casual exploring first, at which point I might not choose to go to the next step. It's not just about trying to get somewhere, but it's like, and this was part of my learning and my own sense of power is like, I, I got to be more choiceful because part of what would happen is I would get to that first or second date and I wouldn't be interested anymore. And I'd have to maybe not break their heart, but end it sooner than they would like. So there's a value in starting with getting to know what matters to each other, understanding our assessments. And then at some point, and I said, I like naming it. Uh, someone just did this with me the other day. He said, let's have a conversation for possibility about such and such. And I was like, oh, I felt safe within the structure. I felt free within the structure because I knew he wasn't asking me to do, because I knew at the end he might ask me. And he did. And I said, yes, it was something that will take some time. But when he said possibility conversation, I was like, oh, okay, we're just going to explore this together. And I know that at the end, you know, here's the artist, the art critic can enter the room. Mm -hmm. So there's a sequence of share stories and assessments, explore possibilities, and then at some point get into action. And then we can talk about how an action conversation starts, if you like, quickly, an offer or a request. All action, here's the two equations. You want to get a promise or a commitment? It's request plus acceptance equals promise or offer plus acceptance equals promise. It sounds so simple. But if you think about in the workplace, a lot of times we make a request, and if the other, if the other person doesn't violently disagree, we may assume we have a yes. <laughs> and they could be trying to please us, it could be their personality type, they could be scared, they could just be 
who knows what, uh, saying yes. And there has to be a clear, sincere, reliable acceptance that we trust. So now I'm getting into the depth of that type of conversation, but it it all starts with somebody deciding, oh, I want to do some action here. Either I'm going to ask you to make a commitment to bring about a certain result, or I am going to uh, offer to bring about a certain result. That's fantastic. I'm going to roll back a little bit and just as an aside for the sales folks and the entrepreneurs or basically anyone that has to persuade somebody to do something else. Um, sort of relationship, possibility, action is a good sort of model for you to go through for that conversation, whether it's a sales call, whether it's a, you know, a pitch or whatever it is, like you got to sort of start in that order. And that's what I was alluding to earlier, where some people will just roll in and just, here's what it costs. Here's what we're going to do. It's like, wait a second, you don't, I don't know you and I don't, what's possible. Let's talk about it. Um, and, and do your second point here, um, you know, Amiel, one of the biggest lessons I, I had to learn the hard way from transitioning from military to civilian um, experience is that um, sort of in the army, like when you give an order or you give an instruction, you know, someone will say, Roger, 10-4, got it, right? And that was a promise that they were going to do it. So you could just hear, Roger, you knew it was going to get done, <laughs> right? Um, because of that culture and what that meant. Acknowledged, I got it, I'll do it. In the civilian world, I was like, yeah, okay, that sounds great. And that for me meant like, okay, they're going to do it, <laughs> right? That was, a, that was a promise in that same sort of way. And it's like, you know, two, three weeks later, I'd come back to someone. I was like, did you do that? It's like, no, I just said that sounds great. I wasn't like, I didn't know it was a real thing, right? It sounded great. <laughs> I didn't know it was an action conversation. <laughs> I didn't know it was an action conversation. I thought it was a like, <laughs> and so I was like, oh, Okay, so I'm going to have to develop another way of like really making sure that teammates got it. And, you know, we've since, you know, created things through Slack, like when there's certain emojis and things that people use that it means not only do I hear you, but I accept it and I'm going forward with it, which is different than like that sounds like a great idea sort of conversation. So I, I, I would just want to pause there because I think um, to your point that a lot of misunderstandings happening because the speaker thinks one, they got it and they're going to do something. When the listener sometimes is just saying, I got it, right? And that, that can lead to a lot of friction. Yeah, here's where being crisp and precise and having a shared terminology between people really helps. Um, and just to say that, like a lot of this stuff, I came to it because it helped me make sense of my own frustration and suffering. And I'll just say, going back even further, when I was in high school, I had this, uh, my best friend at the time, I, later I realized it was a pattern. Monday I would say, hey, you want to go to the movies on Friday? And he would say, cool. <laughs> <laughs> Which, because of my personality type and how I habitually listen, I heard as, yes, I'm there and I will not accept any other promise. That was sort of the implicit. And a lot of the time, he, I would get to Friday and I'd say, all right, what movie do you want to go to? And he's like, oh, well, I'm going to be doing D&D with so-and-so. And I'd feel crushed. So just to make this really practical, one conversational micro habit I encourage people to use if they want to get reliable promises is to name what they're doing. To say, I have a request for you. I have something I'd like to ask you to do. And you can say it in all sorts of different ways and whatever works for you so that the other person knows, oh, this is what's coming. And then uh, 
that's the speaker. Thanks for introducing those terms. And then for the listener, um, the listener's responsibility is to make sure they understand the request. And if not, say, hey, could you help me understand that a little better? And there's all sorts of different personality reasons why that person might not do that. And then once they've understood it, then they've got some options. And this is, I wrote an article called Life is Bigger Than Yes or No, because there's a lot of good teachings out there that's saying, let's all learn to say no. And my view is, yeah, let's learn to say no, but there's two other options other than yes or no. One is, I'll get back to you with a response by X date, buying time. I want everyone to write that one down, because if you have any doubt as to whether you can do something, it you will feel worse if you say yes and can't do it or have to cancel it than if you just say, I take it so seriously that I'm going to think about it. And often for me to say yes, I got to have some other people say yes to me. It's complex, right? Mm -hmm. And then the other one is a counter offer, which is a negotiation term, but it basically means uh, I can do the what, but not by the when, or I can do the when, but a little less what, or I need to change the what and the when. And so this is, again, this is new terminology that when we learn it and when the speaker who's asking it makes it safe for the other person to use all these responses, it's so important, we're more likely to have reliable commitments. And it's one reason why when I coach managers, one of the things I say to them is, it's up to you to make it psychologically safe for this person to say something other than yes. And uh, I'll just really briefly, this one guy I was working with who was a manufacturing manager, I had him, what he would say to people is, he'd say, let's say his name is Mike. He'd say, listen, there's two mics. There's happy Mike and unhappy Mike. Um, um, happy Mike is when you tell me sincerely that you can't do something or that you can't do it by that deadline and we negotiate. Unhappy Mike is when you just say yes and then it falls through. So... It's like, take your pick. <laughs> yeah, you know, I teach so much, or, you know, so many of my clients and, and people who are in the academy and learn from me, like, I'm, I'm teaching about proactive communication on that front. And this is just about how we talk about the tacit and explicit agreements that we've made with each other, right? And time and time again, especially if it's a entrepreneurial client that's in a service-based business or freelancer, I'm like, look, people understand that deadlines need to be shifted, <laughs> Right. They understand that like the plan goes awry. Where people get really frustrated is when they learn on the day of the deadline <laughs> that it needs or to be later. shifted or three days later. Right. Oh, yeah. Right. So that is what gets you in trouble. Like it's very, very rare for us to get in relationship hot water with proactive communication. Right. If you know Thursday, you're probably not going to hit the deadline tomorrow. Like, let them know. Right. I don't think I'm going to hit it. And that takes a lot of vulnerability and a lot of courage. But you're far more likely to get the understanding happy Mike than the really pissed off Mike, you well know, said. a few days later. Right. When they're like, we had to rearrange everything last minute because, you know, you, you didn't let us know. And you probably knew in advance that you weren't going to be able to do it. Right. Um and so I also wanted to make room for, and I'm sure we'll talk about this, is um, I don't think people give themselves the grace to be able to renegotiate commitments in a proactive way as opposed to um, really holding on to that yes so tightly that they either create a situation that ends up in a relationship hot water because they know they can't do it, but they can't renegotiate that yes. 
or they break something else that did not need to be broken. Oh, yeah. Just to honor the yes. Yeah. Well, first of all, I just want to acknowledge a term that you use that I think is a very good conversational micro habit when you can't make the deadline, which is I'd like to renegotiate the commitment. So that's something that when you've said it 50 or 100 times, which you don't have to always do in the middle of action, you could do it in the shower, is becomes more comfortable. But when you're a beginner, it's very hard to do that. And so having some go-to expressions, proactive communication, um, can be super helpful. Um, I also want to say that there are many reasons, there's many different personality types. I think uh, we both are familiar with the Enneagram. Some mm-hmm. listeners may not, and there's different ways to talk about this, but there are many different reasons why someone might not go back and renegotiate. You mentioned courage and vulnerability. There are a number of others, like there's the perfectionist. If I'm the perfectionist, I may not even be thinking about the deadline. I'm just thinking about this isn't good enough yet, and I got to make sure it's good enough. And the interesting thing is, what I forget, I have such strong internal standards that I forget that what good enough here is what will satisfy the customer, the person I made, the, what did we agree to? And I just start adding things onto it until I go, wait a second, Amiel, and this isn't my personality type. You just added four conditions for, sati- for the other person to be satisfied that were not part of the agreement. What's going on? And then I go, oh, okay, I guess I can deliver. So there's a variety, and I guess this is one of the things I'm glad we're coming to. There are a variety of things that make people tick. And so I invite everyone when they hear whatever we're talking about, this is sort of like how to listen to advice. I think it's really important to learn how to take advice with caveats. And let me put this in pharmaceutical terms. All advice ought to come with contraindications, meaning... (laughs) If you are of this personality type or this, this advice is probably not good for you. Or if you're going to take this advice, you should also take this other pill with it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so I just invite, as we're talking for people to listen to us like that, because I can even just say, you know, this is how it is, but it, it so varies and that can be frustrating for people to hear. But I think um, if you've ever followed advice that sounded great and it, and it screwed you over, like there are people out there who maybe renegotiate too quickly mm-hmm. and don't trust them. So they renegotiate two weeks in advance, frustrate the hell out of the other person, and they would have delivered on time because they don't trust themselves. Yeah. Just like there's the, like, by the time you make that second or third re- renegotiation, like it's a different conversation at that point, right? Because you've actually shown that 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 they can't trust you, that that promise is not a good one, right? And you have the count, you have the weight of evidence against you in that way if you keep creeping on these deadlines, right? And so I love that you say that because it's always going to be with the caveat of do what works for you. Mm. Um, with the additional sort of thing is that sometimes we need to pay attention most to the things that make us the most uncomfortable because it's those places of growth that we know about ourselves, right, um, that, that we need to go. So if you hear something, this is, this is on the thread of how to take good advice. If you hear something, you're like, ooh, that really poked me, that really challenged me in a certain way, that might be something to pay a little bit more attention to than just something that seems easy and simple and straightforward, right? Um, not trying to say we need to live our life on hard mode and always be doing that, but there there's – just pay attention to is like, Ooh, that sounded super true for me. And sounds like it's going to be really uncomfortable. That's probably a growth edge for you. Yeah. It's something that I ask people to reflect on when we're doing live 
conversation skills practice in meeting, in a session, in a coaching meeting together is I'll say to them, did that feel like a strength, almost easy and effortless? Did that feel like a stretch? And did that feel like stress? Now, in some cases, if it feels like a stress, it actually could evoke a trauma in the person. I just want to know know about that and slow down. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's a strength, it may still be good, something good to practice. But those stretches are mm-hmm. really great places to grow. And the catch is, you said do what works. A lot of the time, we don't know what work what mm-hmm. will work best for us until we expand our repertoire. And I know you and I are both in the business mm-hmm. of inviting people to expand their repertoire. Because a lot of time, my repertoire is based on who I take myself to be. What kind of who am I as a person? I'm this kind of person. And so, because I'm this kind of person, I'm going to do these things until there's a point in my life where, due to the complexity of the world or life crises, I go, God, that's not working so well. I'm open to something different. And then I try it, and it's and it is hard, but that's that is the path of growth, and hopefully. I have not only the challenge, but I've got a Charlie or Amiel or someone else supporting me, support commensurate to the challenge in the midst of that stretch. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Again, with another tripartite framework, which I love. So that was stress, stretch, and strength, right? He said it in the other stretch. No, stress, strength, and stretch, right? Um, And just understand, especially... Now that we're sort of in like an Enneagram jam, which we're going to have to be super careful about this because we know the Enneagram and we're very careful. Yeah. We're very careful. <laughs> like sometimes a stretch can feel like a stress, right, for certain types of people. So just understand that not all sort of discomfort. And mm-hmm. I know we know this, but our bodies, I think, can take over because you stress and distress can show up as the same sort of physiological response. Right. Positive stress and distress. Yep. Yeah. So positive stress and and negative stress or, you know, distress can show up that way. And so we start to feel the feels and the anxiety and the emotion like, oh, this is stressful. It's like, no, this is stretching. (laughs) Right. There's a there's a difference. Oh, yeah. That's how I always felt before a track and field race in high school. Right before the race, I felt, oh, but it was like, that's the charge that gets you going or before you give before I give a speech. Right. The nerves. Well, what is? But then it's what is my interpretation of that? Mm-hmm. And the, the, and again, we're gonna. We should probably tell people why we're being careful about the enneagram. But let me hold off on that conversation yeah. for a second. Um, is and now I forgot what I was gonna say. You see, when I when I go meta meta, I know you like that term. Yeah. I I, I lost the core, but it has something to do with um, being aware of how I, how I interpret my experience. That's exactly it. How I interpret my experience. And one of the benefits of an instrument like the Enneagram, and there are many others, is to know what is my default way of interpreting my experience. And so I'll just give another example. If I see the world as a place where other people have things that I don't have and I'm kind of miserable and I'm going to just kind of dwell in that misery and I have really strong reactions to things, um, that's going to affect how I interpret my experience. And so for, for me, it actually might be helpful for someone to say, you know what, maybe you have it better than you thought. And maybe this could be easier. In other words, I may not want to make it go to the plunge to the depths of what's hard. Like that's my, that's my MO. <laughs> exactly. Like do the thing that's, do the thing that's hard, which is not doing the thing that's hard. <laughs> yes. Right? 
<laughs> yeah, I was just teaching my son, you know, a negative of a negative is a positive in multiplication and division. And he was, we were working through that. That's kind of the same thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, and there are plenty of people, maybe I'm not calling out Amiel here, but like not doing it on hard mode is very difficult to do. It's not natural, right? Not calling Amiel, but I know no, I call have. me out, man. You just, you just kind of call me out. So I'm going to have to respond. Um, <laughs> that has been, that has been a default. That is the default response that if I don't go to the balcony and look at it will happen. And I had a coach who once said to me, what if it was easier than you think? And I was like, oh, really? Is that okay? And so then there's this dimension, this term of like giving yourself permission. And sometimes, and that's a nice language for many of us, it's like, oh, I can give myself permission to renegotiate a promise. Oh, I can give myself permission to say no or counter offer. I can give myself permission to hang out in a po possibility conversation or to end it sooner than I might otherwise. There's a permission giving that can be super, super helpful when we learn about ourselves. Absolutely. And so we'll touch in on it so we can, I know we opened up a curiosity gap around the Enneagram. Um, I'm, we're going to close that up and then sort of go back to um, the different options between yes and no. But um I'll start this, I mean, I'll correct me or, or add to it if it's not right. Why, why we're careful about the Enneagram is that it's this wonderful tool for self-discovery and empathy. It's really complex. Um, and it's um, one that once you sort of know the, the Enneagram, like it becomes a lot of talking about it and sort of permutations and things like that. It's a wonderful tool. We clearly both love it. Um, and... Um, it can lead you down a, a side path that's really useful and that can stretch out a conversation in ways that, that may not fit an hour-long podcast. Yeah, and every typology has the risks of being misused by putting people into boxes. Absolutely. And that's one of the big um, – and also it takes a lot of time. <laughs> I think it's what you're saying too. <laughs> it takes a lot of time, but if you're interested about it, my favorite um, book about this is the um, Sacred Enneagram by Chris Hewitt. We'll link to it in the show notes. He's got a recent, a newer book out that I'm still diving into, but it's kind of my go-to as opposed to some of the older works on the Enneagram. So I'm just going to sort of drop that there, and we can we can sort of roll back in. Um, I wanted to pick back up. You mentioned, you know, life is bigger than yes or no, and you slid in a, um, my version of, of this mnemonic is like, let me check my calendar, right, as a way to create some pause between a yes or a no, um, that I have found to be incredibly useful for people whose default is either yes or no, mm. right, to learn to give themselves that pause and say, you know what, let me check my calendar and get back to you by tomorrow or by three days from now, Um it's, it can be such a game changer because a lot of times you realize two hours or two days after you made the commitment that maybe you shouldn't have done that, right? Because I think um, we, I talk about this a lot when people think about projects on me, is they, you know, when they think about, it, oh, this is a great project. It sounds like a great idea. They get so laser focused on that one project and it seems imminently doable. But then once they commit to it and start going about it, they realize they've got 17 others, <laughs> that they committed to at the same time, that everything combined becomes difficult. And I think mm. in this spectrum, what we're talking about, any given small yes that we might say, or any given medium-sized yes that we might say, is in that particular instance, seems doable, seems like we're going to be able to honor that promise. 
Um, seems like you know going through it is is not going to be stressful and lead to suffering. But then when we consider it in the broad spectrum of all the other yeses we've said, that's where it falls apart. And just that mm-hmm. little trick of let me check my calendar. It's a mental trick of saying, let me see what else I've committed to mm. and see how this stacks in so that I can give that strong yes or no. That's another great uh, conversational micro habit that when people work with you enough and you use it, they know what it means. And the thing about it is, for you, it may mean more than just checking your calendar. You may be checking your heart or you may be checking with other people, but it's a nice summary phrase. And another important part of that that I suggest not leaving out is by when. Because part of what people look for when they make a request of you is they're looking for some commitment. And all four of the responses that we talk about are a commitment. If I say, I will get back to you, I'm going to check my calendar, get back to you by Tuesday at four. I haven't agreed to your request, but I've made a commitment. And therefore, what happens? You see me as someone who stands in commitments. Ditto for, you know what? I can do that, but I need an extra week with that work for you. Now I'm making a commitment. I'm saying, if you accept this, I'm going to do it. Uh, And conversely, if I give you a fuzzy or slippery promise you will feel like it's fuzzy or slippery, as in, well, I'll try, or I think so. I'll give it a shot. Like, when you've been on the receiving end of that enough, it's like, oh, man, I don't know if I want to ask this person again. (laughs) (laughs) And if I am that person, there's something for me to pay attention to. What's causing me to do that? What's causing me to not make clear commitments? Maybe I don't have access to language. Maybe it's something else. So in other words, what you're, let me check my calendar or let me just let me get back to you by X date um, also prevents a lot of mischief. <laughs> right. I think is what we're saying too. A lot of mischief. And, um, you know, something that, that, now, now I've lost my train of thought. We're going to have to process this now. What was I going to say? The Two negatives pop- make a positive, man. Now we're back to the positive. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot. You forgot. We must be in good shape. Um, or it could be the times in which we're recording this. <laughs> <laughs> that is another explanation. Um, that is another reasonable explanation. Um, I had to come back to me. Um, or it won't. Um, so we'll pick up from here. One of... One of the things that's challenging in some of these negotiations, commitments, you know, um, setting boundaries, no, I'm not going to do that. Yes, I am going is that it can bring up difficult um, emotions and, you know, all sorts of challenging emotions as you're having these. Because I think when most people are asking for or making a request, the um, a lot of times the presumption is that you're going to say yes. Um, I think that's more true in personal relationships than in professional relationships. Mm. Um, whereas when people ask you to do something, it's sort of they're not really asking you to do it. They're kind of telling you to do it. Um, it's kind of like when mom says, call me. It's not actually a request for me to call her. It's a it's a declaration that I need to call her. Right. <laughs> yes, um, yes, there's, there's, there's not more. There's not much room for negotiation in that, um, except for when. 
I, that's uh, an, an insist. It's a it's form a, of request. It's an insist. It's an insist. Um, but in other contests, like, you know, someone hearing no or someone hearing yes to the what, but I need to change the when can create some um, frustration, anger on both uh, sides. Side. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about some different ways to sort of be with those emotions, but not have those emotions hijack or derail a conversation. Yeah. Yeah. That's a complex question. That's a great question. Um, so just an example, a couple days ago, uh, the mom of one of the kids, uh, my uh, second graders classmates invited him to a pool party and we had just said no to a pool party from someone else because of the virus. And how do I respond to that? It was a text. Um, and I had a conversation with Julie, my wife, about it first. And she's leaning more, slightly more towards opening things up than me. Not a lot. Um, so there's a slowing down in the consideration. Now we haven't even gotten to actually saying it, but there's a slowing down in the consideration of what does it mean to say no. And then also, and this is an important part, is how can I, if there are all these emotions in me, there are different parts of myself, can I include all that in my response? This is so important. And so in that instance, and I got Julie's help with this, and this is just a text message, right? I thought of calling her, but it's just a text message. I described how touched we were which is language Julie gave me and talked about how much Xander has enjoyed being friends. And I said, we want to take a rain check and then let me tell you what we're up to. It was sort of like, we're in this place. This is like this thing we're doing right now. And, um, could we have a rain check? And so, um, there's a part of finding a place for those emotions like the appreciation. I didn't say we're sad to decline, but um, I felt it. And that's part of learning to be competent at conversations is what are the different parts of myself that need to speak here? And if really more parts of me speak, I think it turns out better a lot of the time if I do it skillfully. So that's one answer to your question. That's just in preparing to say no. But then there's when I say no, what's your response? Now there's interesting research and I know we won't get into this one in too much depth once I tell you the topic, but I think it might have been John Gottman, I'm not sure, that one of the keys to success in marriage is that when one person wants sex and the other one says no, the first one doesn't do a downhill dive into despair and anger. <laughs> they like accept it. Yeah. Right? So that's like an extreme example of like a no. It's like, ugh, you know, can't be that way. Um. So if you are on the receiving end of a no, yeah, there's a whole, there's another big topic, I'll just say, but there's a whole bunch of ways to own your emotions without owning the other person's emotions. And this is a developmental step that we grow into as adults. And this is where games get played. You talked about games getting played. Like I, I'm going to get caught in the victim. There's like the victim, persecutor, rescuer triangle. Mm -hmm. you get into one, what role am I playing? Oh, I'm playing the victim. Well, guess what? Victims often become persecutors. Now I'm pissed. I'm going to persecute you for saying no. So if I can become aware of this conversational pattern and emotional pattern, then I can find ways of kind of coming out of it. Um, the other thing that happens when someone says, 
no to something that's important to me is have I done enough perspective taking, putting myself in their shoes to understand their perspective? Have they explained it? Can I inquire about it? And then is it safe enough for me to actually say not you are a total jerk for saying no, but you know what? I accept your decision and I just want to say, yeah, I feel kind of sad. I'm all right, but I'll, I accept it and I feel kind of sad. So that parts of me enters the conversation. Now, again, if the no is coming from someone that I do not want a future relationship with, that is a manipulative SOB in general, I may not be saying to them, I'm feeling a little sad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'll tag Any in on this. To add to that. Yeah, I wanted to ask your additions. Yeah, I mean, I know we've been we've been saying this in the context of offers and requests and yeses and nos. Um, but one thing that I think a lot it, it's something I work with um, the managers and leaders that I that I work with as well um, that they need to focus on is being able to actually articulate what their emotion is, especially if it's frustration or disappointment or something like that. Because what ends up happening is for years of sort of misunderstood management communication training, like managers were learned were told not to sort of talk about these negative emotions. But it comes across in everything. It, it leads to passive aggressiveness. It leads to teammates not really trusting whether a good job is actually a backhanded compliment, right? Yes. And so for that for that manager to be able to say, you know what, I'm really frustrated and disappointed that we missed this deadline, right? Or that, that this is what happens, right? Um, and I don't want to be having this conversation again, right? Because it's frustrating. It's uncomfortable for both of us. Let's talk about what we're going Thank to do. What we're going Wonderful. to do going forward, right? Yeah. It, it, it is a clarion call for teammates because whoever is in that chair does not want to have that conversation again. But they also know when you say good job and when you give them praise, like they know where they stand. They can trust your words. They can trust your energy. It makes such a difference in how they will then show up with you and how you're able to show up and not pretend that you have to be that manager that just sort of bends bends over and lays down and everybody gets to run over, right? Ouch. Uh, I know, right? Um, and then, you know, you don't get to actually be a human at work, but it's, it's going to come out. That's the thing. It is always going to come out. So it might as well come out with clarity, with um, authenticity, and, you know, in the context that it needs to, rather than in these sort of other ways of subterfuge. Yeah, thanks. What I would, um, where I would place that in the action conversation is, there's four phases we're not going to get into, but the very last phase is when the person has said, here's the results, declare completion, then I say whether I'm satisfied or dissatisfied. In other words, we had some agreements on what you were going to do, and here's, here's where I'm at with that. So there's the factual description of you promised A, B, and C, and you gave me A and B. That's my perspective. Do you disagree? And they said, no, I thought I gave you C. I was like, well, that's not C. So you have a conversation about the facts. But then there's the conversation about the emotions and me being able to say, yeah, I'm frustrated. I'm disappointed. I'm anxious. Or, and there's a lot of ways to do this, is I'm having some real strong feelings about this. Because <laughs> I, I, I may not be able to name my emotions, but I, I have to tell you, my blood pressure is going up right now. Da 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 da. But and and Charlie, and this is the the really important part. I say include different parts of yourself. Am I also able 
to say to the person, I trust that you tried hard. I trust in your good intentions. You've done so well in the past, if that's true. Right now with this thing, this is really hurting. Like this is having big consequences. So in other words, if it is true in your assessment that this is an exception to the rule or unusual, it's nice when you're saying how shitty you feel to place that in a larger context. Absolutely. But that requires finding that part of yourself. If you just tend to be the type of person just says, expresses the anger to also go, oh, wait a second, what else is true? Or as you're pointing out, if you're the kind of person who just sort of is like, well, I just want to keep things going. You guys usually do a good job, so I won't say much. It's like, no, something's going on here. But all of that, and you know this because you do that, we both do this with people, requires sensing. If I'm the person, if I'm that manager, I've got a sense, what is my emotional experience? I need five years to do that. That takes a long time to learn how to do. If it's been squeezed out, pushed out, never accepted. Mm-hmm. Again, some people it comes quickly to them, but that's like part of our job as adults is helping it make safe for us to get in touch with what those feelings are. Whether we name the emotion or just name there is an emotion. And yeah. so that people take it serious. I think part of what you're saying is how are people going to know that this is messed up and do something differently unless I share my feeling? And second of all, how are they going to trust that I'm going to stand up for them with the big boss? or the big customer, if I fall flat over to them. Is that kind of kind of what you're saying as well? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, um, you know, so much words can lead to trust, words can degrade trust, right, in different ways. And, and that's what we're talking about here. And um, I think, yeah, absolutely, it's about whether they can trust in that moment that what they're receiving is true. Right. And not always have to leave and be wondering, like, their, their body expression is seen like they were faces are really like we, we can pick up on so many things. Right. Yeah. And there's emotional contagion. And like when we know someone's pissed and frustrated, but they're not saying it, that creates way more tension, oh, gosh. And chaos and mischief than if that person just says, you know what, I'm having a hard time with this right in this moment. <laughs> right. Um I recognize how much of the great work that you've done. I know how hard you tried on this. I see all of the work. They're just aspects of this that you just currently are not sitting with me, and I need a moment, right? You're uh, owning your emotions. When I'm listening to you, you're owning your emotions. I don't have to take responsibility for it. If you're saying things are good, and I look at your all like furrowed eyebrows, I make, oh, shit, what, oh, man. I've, but when you come clean with it, is what you're saying, I can be like, oh, okay, he's having an emotional experience. Yeah. He's having an emotional experience. We're he's aware uh, of it. He's aware. We're he's aware of it. <laughs> I know what to anticipate. I know yeah. how to respond to this, right? It's like, or I mean, even if I don't know exactly how to respond to it, I know what type of conversation we're in. Right. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. what conversation we're not in. Yeah. Right? So it's a it's a it's the it's a conversation for dissatisfaction, why the person is dissatisfied. Uh, and there's a lot more we could say about that if we were to zoom in. Um, but also in trust, um, there are, I say there, uh, it's not my model, four things that we trust or distrust in another person, sincerity, competence, reliability, and care. This is distrust that you're being sincere. I don't think that what's actually going on inside of you is the same as what you're telling me and your body language is giving it away. So if I don't trust your sincerity, 
that will translate to me. I may trust that you're very competent at certain things and you're reliable, but you're not, there's, you're, there's an out of integrity here. And so I have my own little games that I get mischief that I get into when you do that. But if you are clean and you own your own emotions, hopefully I can be like, okay, as you said, that's the conversation we're in. He's acknowledged that I'm generally pretty reliable, generally pretty skilled, generally, but in this instance, it's messed up. And you know what? I see his perspective. And now let's talk about what to do about it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it takes what Amiel has said multiple times, and I really appreciate you for saying this, is if we're saying this and it makes it sound like a simple thing to do, like everyone should know how to do this, it ain't so, right? These are skills you have to practice. You are going to mess up, right? Um, You're going to need to own up that the conversation you had on Tuesday, it wasn't since it wasn't as serious as it needed to be. You whatever was going on, you might need to go back and you know what, pause and say, you know what, I just need to clear this up, right? We had this conversation on Tuesday. I wasn't being super clear. I wasn't aware of what I was feeling in that moment, right? But as I thought about it, here's where I am, and I wanted to clear that up so that we can trust trust how we're communicating with each Wonderful. other. Wonderful. You're right? going back because that's yeah. You now you've done something that takes even more than five years to do. <laughs> Which is, you've not only gone back and reflected, but you've then asked yourself, what can I do to mend what I have broken? Um, now, I also want to say that maybe it isn't that hard, <laughs> but, it does t- <laughs> but, it does, but it does take some practice. And that is a linguistic framework and an emotional, somatic, a body thing that all of us could learn to practice. I joke about it in the shower in front of the mirror with your somewhere to say, hey, you know what? I want to come back to you about this thing. I actually, there's something I want to say different. I'll do this different thing. Like we can practice that in different areas of, particularly when the stakes are low. Like, you know, you know, I meant, I meant to give you the, I, I gave you the, the mocha, but I, I know you ordered the latte. I'm really sorry. Now, both you and I wish we could have this conversation more often. <laughs> yeah. um, but there's like, this is something, here's where it's very important that we pay attention to all the work around deliberate practice. For high performers in sports, music, performing arts, chess, you get good by doing things over and over again, massive number of reps, and with the intent to improve, and somebody else who's competent is observing and giving you feedback. To expect any of us to get good at this conversation stuff without that is to expect me to become the person on your t-shirt right now that only I can see, which says the invincible Iron Man. It's not going to happen. <laughs> it's a nice yeah. shirt, by the way. <laughs> Thanks. Well, there are a reason we call them superheroes, and they have sort of that way. Like, we know we're not supposed to – like, they are extraordinary people. We are ordinary people who have moments of greatness, who mm-hmm. can have moments of extraordinary, but we don't – most of us don't pop out of the womb that way. And most of us are going to have these moments where we said something in the moment that maybe wasn't quite right. Or maybe we didn't speak the full truth. Maybe we committed to something and we see later on that we couldn't have honored that commitment. Um, maybe we just stepped into a conversation sideways because we weren't prepared for it and we have to dig our way out of it, right? Those are all parts of being human. And the courage that I would want us all have in the – I know I've used the words courage multiple times and that's going to appeal to different people on the Enneagram spe- spectrum. But the intention here is for us to show up for these conversations and understand that 
you know, yes, part of being human is is accepting that we will make mistakes. But the other part of being human is that we have this greatness within us to be able to show up and continually try and get ever better as we do it. I love that. <laughs> um, all right. As the guest on today's episode, you get to leave our listeners with an invitation or a challenge, depending upon whichever most resonates with you. So based upon what we've talked about, what one thing would you invite or challenge our listeners to do? Great. Yeah, thanks. So Charlie and I have talked through many different conversations, situations, habits, moves that you could make in different areas of your life. My invitation and challenge uh, is to pick one that you feel like could make a difference in something that matters to you right now in your life. And write it down and come back to it the next day and see if that's something you want to make a commitment to yourself or let's say Charlie's your coach to bring up with Charlie in the next meeting and say, you know what? I realize that I want to get better at renegotiating commitments that I've made to someone else. And I want to actually declare my commitment to this. So the invitation, the challenge is to pick one. Most people can only focus on one or two things to improve at a time in my experience. Pick it, reflect on it, and if you've got someone in your life, whether it's a coach, family member, a friend, you decide you do want to make a commitment to it, share it with them. See what that feels like to do. And, um, and that's just the, main, the first thing. Then there's practice. But let's just start there. How's that? Sounds great. Amiel, thanks so much for joining me today. It's been a great conversations about conversations, and I appreciate you for that. It's been, a, it's been great fun, and it's been great to be in rhythm together while we're doing this. Absolutely. All right, everyone, you heard it from Amiel. Think about some of the micro um, habits and things that we talked about in this episode. Which one would you like to improve upon? Think about that for a second. Who in your life are you going to share that commitment with? And once you're sharing that commitment, consider what are some small practices you can do to get better at it in the next week or two. Until next time, stand tall and start finishing. Thanks for listening to Productive Flourishing. To get more resources that will help you finish the work that matters and be your best self in the world, head on over to ProductiveFlourishing.com. If this episode warmed your heart or got your wheels turning, we'd really appreciate it if you'd leave a review for the podcast on iTunes.